0: Hey, Justin. Hey, what's up? So, uh, you know how I always say, like, if you have a LinkedIn profile and then you have a gap in employment, what do I always say? You should do what? Lie. E- e- yes and no. Oh, wait, 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 wait. What was it? No, you, you <laughs> say you're a consultant. That's what you do. You just say you're a consultant during like that. Oh, that's right. That's right. Yeah. Because, of course, if somebody asks you a question, you're going to, you know, you don't have to say that you're consulting for like something you know, huge. If somebody asks you a question, you can say you're a consultant and you can make money as a consultant. Did you know that? You could be at a dinner. Somebody could ask you a question and you're, con- right. if you
2: answer it, you're consulting.
0: You're consulting. <laughs> exactly. But the question is, have you ever thought about what it takes to learn how to be a consultant? Mm, I would love to know. Really? Cause you, yeah. you make a pretty good one, I think. So, uh, <laughs> let's see if that's true. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the marketing geeks. Right. So our guest is an expert in digital marketing strategy, and he serves as an advisor for Score Rhode Island. You know, we, were, we met at uh, Score. We talk about Score a lot on the show. Uh, we met in uh, Score Ventura. And he is, has consulted w- with uh, funded startups and nine-figure organizations, uh, and he has a keen awareness on a focus on what efforts are effective, relevant, and sustainable based on the company's unique market and situation. Uh, he's also written some books that I'm going to get into. I'll let him talk about that. But uh, best of all, he has his own consulting training company, and this is something I really want to find out. Like, really, what does it take to be a consultant? Well. This guy's going to tell us all, ladies and gentlemen, David J. Bradley. Woo.
1: Thank you. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be with you guys.
0: Yeah, man. Thank you for uh, being on the show. How are, How's quarantine treating you?
1: Ooh, it started rough. I'll be honest. It started rough for a really? couple of weeks there and just trying to get used to things. Um, tell, tell me all about that. I, I miss my office. I miss the routine. Um, I spent years, four years, five years working from home. And then I got an office. And now I was struggling to get back into the routine of actually working every day um, Mm -hmm. without being able to go there. But uh, things things are starting to turn around. I'm used to the the new routine, the new normal. Do
0: you do you need like a structure of like getting up and going somewhere to keep yourself kind of on task? Because I'm if left to my own devices, like if I had no responsibility and I just won the lottery, they would find me in five years, just like Bin Laden, sitting in my house, watching pornography, <laughs> you know, probably smoking way too much weed. Which sounds like happened. a
1: great life, but we do have to work too.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. I'm no, working, it's... I'm working towards that. Is what I'm <laughs> <telling>. <laughs> no, I really, I was
1: pretty good at it for a while until I got the office. And then I completely lost my ability to be so productive at home. It was a weird, weird turn for me because um, I always resisted getting an office because I figured I was so productive from my house. Um, but yeah, I like the routine now. I like mixing it up. I like getting to the office. I know when I get there, if I spend four hours there, it's just as being productive, just as productive as being home for eight hours and working. I just yeah. have a much higher level of productivity.
0: Yeah. Do you have, do you have kids by any chance?
1: I don't. I have a dog that'll distract me at home, but no kids.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, uh, yeah, but I, I totally understand it because I, I kind of, I, I partly miss going to the office. I also do like being, uh, at home too. So I I understand the double-edged sword, but uh, I, I'd like to get a little, first of all, for, for our listeners who don't know you, uh, can you tell us a little bit more about like who you are and what you do and, uh, and, and what your, what your main project is right now? Sure. So,
1: I have been in marketing for what feels like forever now, Um, but a solid 10 years or so as a consultant, as a freelancer, um, the past six years or so with my own consulting firm, or might be going on seven, losing track of time. Uh, That's part of quarantine too. Yeah. Over the years, over the last couple of years, I started to get more into the coaching of other marketing consultants, marketing agencies, and started working on that side. And, you know, that's a very crowded area, but, you know, I, I make it a pretty structured process to understand how coaching works, how to teach people. Um, I teach at a college as well, marketing. Um, so that has been where I've noticed my passion being on that teaching and coaching side and working with people to help them establish their own business. Um, so that's where most of my attention has shifted as opposed to client services. Um, and that's what a consulting MBA program is. That's where I'd focus most of my time, uh, at this point of trying to continually help new folks in starting their own marketing practice.
2: Now, do you have an MBA? What's with the name consulting MBA? Where did, where did that come from? Is that your educational background? Is that what brought that up or what's the story behind that?
1: Yeah, a bit. So I, I, I did get my MBA back in 2015. Um, and then, I used that kind of as my hook in branding, um, just for myself personally for a while, cause it was somewhat unique in marketing to have the MBA. Um, but then I used it because the MBA terminology has a connotation of something being rigorous, right? So I published a book in 2019, digital marketing MBA, I have consulting MBA. It's all just supposed to relate to that kind of rigorous structure, of having a formalized education around that topic consulting, digital marketing, and so on. So that's the idea.
0: So, uh, did, were you doing consulting for a while? And then you started, uh, the, because consulting MBA is, is a digital training for people who want to be consultants, right? Right. Right. So, So how did that, how did that come about?
1: That really happened organically. You know, I spent, The past six, seven years doing consulting on my own with my, my firm and probably three, four years before that kind of freelance, just less formalized. Um, And somewhere say about three years ago, I just had a community of other marketers around me where we all kind of met as a a mastermind kind of function. And that developed over time where I wasn't just facilitating the mastermind, but I was really giving them uh, the steps forward to take kind of guiding them along. As I was learning, I was able to kind of simplify things, share with them, and get it going that way. And uh, that's that was really the beginning of it, very organic with some some peers.
0: And, and what would you say, I mean, what makes a consultant? What are kind of the things that you need to know before you walk in and say, hey, I'm a consultant? Um, it's good to
1: know that there's a million other people walking in the room and saying, hey, I'm a consultant too. And that always seems common in marketing as well. A lot of marketing agency folks out there, a lot of marketing consultants that are networking. Uh, So it comes down to, all right, if everyone else is in the pool, I need to stand out somehow. So what is it going to be that makes me unique? And you don't really have that right until you're super uncomfortable with it, typically, because you have to be so specific and so narrow that it really truly does stand out, and at the same time, you're almost skittish about is this going to work or find your is, niche. is my pool so small? Right. Yeah. Yeah. We right. talk
0: about a lot about niching down uh, on the show, and and how that's kind of essential to uh, running a business. So, I mean, what what were you doing before you were a consultant? Were you always kind of an entrepreneurial sort of person, or was there did you did you have the slave job for a while?
1: Something in the middle, I guess. I'm not sure. So back in. Uh, high school, it might have even been junior high. I started just kind of messing around with websites. This was like back in the Angel Fire days, where everything was hideous, but I had fun kind of messing yeah. around. So that introduced me to it. Built up some forums, some communities about graphic design. It was just a fun hobby um, until I got into an actual working age, and I can start to work for companies kind of a freelance fashion. Um, and in college, my first two years, I had. I think it was 24, 27, 24 different jobs and projects that I worked on. Some of them are part-time and a lot of them are temporary three-month gigs and internships and stuff like that. And that just spiraled forward. I never ended up getting a traditional nine-to-five. I just kept doing freelance work, consulting work, and here I am now.
0: Yeah, yeah. So so, uh, it was just really you were always kind of – you went from – from solopreneur and just grew that out to having your own agency and uh, you're the uh, consulting NBA business. Are those, so those are basically you, cause you're still consulting, right? So I'm still consulting. I have uh,
1: my firm BBG where I do the more in-depth digital strategy consulting um, and some limited training, speaking, stuff like that. Um, I have an affiliate uh, agency that I'm an advisor to KSA. So I'm helping them develop their digital division, leading that, um, but they're handling all the day-to-day client management type of stuff. And then I have consulting MBA. That's where i put the main focus um, day-to-day at this point.
2: So what makes a successful consultant um, besides the hook? We we talked about the hook a little bit, like are coming up with your moniker, whatever you want to call that. What, what else makes up a, a successful consultant? What are some of the things you're teaching that are um, that are going to be beneficial to someone that wants to break into the consulting industry
1: sure so it's really the the pillars of a good business model right So it's the niche of who I'm targeting, what's my target market it's the service offering itself and then it's how you're packaging that up, which is how you're presenting it, how you're structuring the deals, um, the the pricing uh, element to it. And it's a combination of those that then allows you also to actually communicate it in the right way. So they're essentially building blocks. And I don't think that in consulting, there's anything that is that profound. Um, I don't believe in the magic of these special funnels where you just plug in your name and then all of a sudden you got 40 clients a month knocking on your door. Uh, I don't go down any of those paths, but I do go down the path of Here's how we make a business intelligently. Um, and here's how we do it quickly because we cut out all the nonsense and the noise.
0: So, so can you give us some examples of like how, like, like, give us as an example of like a recent client and how you handled their particular situation.
1: Uh, on the consulting side? Yeah. consulting client. So there's one that I've worked with for a couple of months, let's say. Um, and she's a very sharp consultant. And her issue is that she just kind of feels lost in the cycle of, well, there's so many marketing consultants out there. Anytime someone really gives me that attention to say, um, you know, we might be interested in doing a project, she feels like she has to take it because it's a new client, it's money coming in, it's a new deal that could turn into something else. And otherwise she's just kind of spinning her wheels and Doesn't really have a business coming in reliably. So, with her, it was a structured way to sit back and say, not just what am I communicating out there, but where do I want to see this business long term? Do I want to be the solo consultant 10 years from now, or do I want an agency around me? And breaking down the business model from there so that she can really get a structure to all right, if that's where I want to be in five years, 10 years what do I need to be doing today? And that fundamentally changed from, I'm a marketing consultant to, uh, these are the kind of packages offered for content marketing services and content strategy. And that kind of fundamental of the offering born out of the future vision was the catalyst for her. She can piece everything else together from there. Uh, and that's just her case. It's always different. People have different hangups. Uh, but that was a major thing for her to kind of unlock what happen- has to happen next.
2: So for packaging and pricing, I'm kind of curious, like what, what are like a lot of your clients charging as consultants? Are, are they coming in? Are they are they coming in as hourly consultants a lot? Are they selling blocks of time, blocks of hours? Are they offering uh retainer-based contracts? Like what what are some of the packages that you're seeing that are common and like what kind of price ranges? for people that are getting started versus like advanced consultants? Sure. So there's, I'd
1: say two categories and um, some people come in with uh, hourly fees and I always push them away from that quickly. And I'm sure you guys are familiar with the pros and cons of that. And Mm -hmm. it's usually heavy on the con side. Um, So there's retainers or project based work. The projects, a lot of the folks starting out are looking at a few thousand dollars for whatever it might be. Uh, And that might be a new website, it might be a strategy of some sort. Uh, But the goal would be that you're looking at a five figure deal for projects. On the retainer side, that's where most of the business is. And there, you know, you're looking at, say, one to two thousand, typically starting out for some basic work. Um, it could be three, four, 5,000, especially for the heavier, uh, project management based work, um, like content marketing. It's very intensive typically to do effectively. So that might be a bit more, uh, but I try to also shift everyone into quarterly retainers. Uh, mm-hmm. I did quarterly exclusively for the last, uh, two years or so. And it makes a pretty dramatic impact on a consulting business, especially when, Folks are worried about every month, is this client going to cancel on me? If you're locked in quarterly, it gives you a little bit more leeway, a little bit more peace of mind. And I think from a marketer perspective, it puts the client in the right viewpoint of, all right, I'm not just committing for the next 30 days. This is another 90 day commitment. So all around, it seems to work better. Um, And that's the biggest thing in terms of pricing that I help people shift
2: into. And do clients pay that up front? Do do they pay the quarterly up front for you?
0: Yeah,
1: yeah, always up front.
0: And do you give them discounts if they do like a year deal or a multi-year deal?
1: Um, depending on the size, either a 5 or 10% discount if it is uh, paid up front for 6 or 12 months, but typically it's a quarterly deal. Um, I don't do anything locking in for a year. I might write it out in that sense, but uh, not where I'm discounting to say, you know, you're going to stick with me for a year unless they pay me all up front.
0: I, I just want to, I just want to touch on this, this very thing, because, uh, this to me is one of the best pieces of advice you could ever give anybody. Uh, I built hundreds of websites when I was starting out. And one of my biggest regrets, biggest regrets is that I didn't offer like a monthly service fee and start hosting the sites myself. Uh, and, and, uh, you know, I, it's not where my passion lies to do that type of work. I can do it, but I could have outsourced it. And uh, it, it, it's really a whole kind of passive stream of income that has completely, uh, I didn't take advantage of. So I, I uh, listened to David Bradley on this one, folks. If you have a consulting business or a web business or doing marketing, uh, definitely employ that business model. Yeah,
1: yeah, I think that is Probably one of the key things in getting people to shift into quarterly, uh, offering quarterly packages and making that their standard is really a, a mindset shift. And it's a place of coming into a sales meeting in a more powerful position mm-hmm. and a more confident position. So it has a dramatic impact across the board.
0: So, how, how do you determine how much to charge per hour to figure out what your fee is going to be? Uh, because what I mean, I have my own method for doing that, but what do you? how do you judge what you should be paid when you ask for a bid?
1: Sure. So I try to look at it first and foremost uh, in terms of what value is being provided. And if we can find a situation where I can draw a path to uh, the client getting a 10X return, then I can charge whatever that fee is and be confident of it. Um, so the value providing, which comes into what are they investing? What are they getting out of that? What's the customer actually worth? In doing some of that math, um, first and foremost, that's that's one way to go about it. Uh, it's always helpful to be mindful of what the going rate is. If you know what competitors are typically charging, uh, it's not a good idea to try to be the cheap option, but to have an idea of where they are, uh, it's a helpful bit of data to have in your arsenal. And, you know, you can look at hourly in terms of just making sure that you're safe, but I would never show hourly to the client. So I'll go through the calculation of for this project, this is how many hours are going into it. This is what I should be earning for my hours that I put in. And then I put a multiple on that because everything else takes longer than you expect. Oh, yeah. And that's my safety net. I say if I, I, if I hit, um, if I can charge at least that much, at least I know I'm safe but I I start with value first and foremost. That's just a a extra uh, safety net, like I said.
0: Yeah. And I, I, I tend to do the same thing where I, I, my going rate, my personal going rate is 75 an hour. If it's a bigger business that has money, I'll go to 150. Uh, I have a friend's rate, which that, that all depends, but 75 is about what I go for when I'm you know, figuring out, yeah, it's going to take 10 hours to do this thing, 15 hours to do this other thing. Uh, and then once I get that figure, I give myself like a 15 to 20% raise. There you go. And then uh, that's, that's generally how, yeah. But it's, a, it's, a, it's a, it seems like intuitively you're doing that same sort of thing. Uh, so if you were, if somebody's wanting to, I mean, we have a lot of people now specifically, who now are suddenly out of work, maybe, and they now's a good time to start your own consulting business. If somebody's making that transition, what advice would you give someone like that?
1: I think if it's something where you're in it for the long term, it's not just going to, you know, fill the resume during this down period, but you're looking at it long term, try to focus on an area that you're actually going to be, I don't want to say passionate about, but you know relatively intrigued by, whether that's the service that you're providing or the industry that you're working within. And I think that's one of the areas of finding your niche that isn't emphasized enough because, you know, there's always those lists of the top niches to go after. These are hot niches that you need to jump into this. Who's spending money right now, but ultimately it's helpful to wake up every day and be excited about your client's businesses. And if you can do that, or at least the service that you provide, uh, if you can do that, it makes it a whole lot easier to find success when your day-to-day is a little bit more intriguing.
0: So so what would you say to somebody who uh, has a passion to play the ukulele and he has a wife who thinks that it's really obnoxious?
1: Wow. Well. It's always- you know what?
0: You don't have to answer that question. It's just that maybe <laughs> maybe that's too much information. But um, well, I mean, this is this is uh, it, I mean, it's really a fantastic subject because how much do I charge is always a big question that uh, people deal with. Uh, but also, it's it's we're we're going into such an uncertain time now, right? And uh, we've been talking a lot about how people can really start teaching themselves new skills and. Uh, one of the things I love about being an entrepreneur, once you have your business license, it it changes the conversation with yourself about, oh, how do I get a job? To where are the opportunities to make money? And giving you a business license is uh, giving yourself a business license is a is a great way to focus on your energy on on making money rather than how am I going to, you know. Get a job to support myself. So, have you have you noticed any issues with the with the downturn? I mean, how has this affected you?
1: Sure. So, there's definitely been some pullback from uh, clients. All businesses out there are struggling to some degree, unless they're in a sector that's been protected. But I had a couple of clients that I've worked with in events and travel, and those are two areas that are highly affected, of course. But you know i'm I'm at a place where I'm at least diversified enough personally that I'm relatively safe. and it's just kind of about what can I do to help support them at this point and give them the information that they they need to keep going. But I'm um, sure, it, it was tough just in the sense that you know these clients, um, specifically one in the sailing space, another one in uh, professional sports, they have spent their lives or the last couple of years, uh, for the sailing client really focused on building up this business. And all of a sudden this pandemic comes in and takes it away. Wow. Um, and it was tough, you know, that's, that's definitely a tough thing to deal with. Even though, um, I was in a relatively safe space, it, you know, it, I feel like I'm uh, not an owner of those businesses, businesses, but I'm, I'm a stakeholder in some, in some sense. Yeah, totally. Uh, So, And it's, you know, it's,
0: it's, it's, and I've, I've found this with uh, a few of the clients that I'm working with also is that you, part of what I I try to bring is, is ideas on how to pivot and how to make that uh, viable using digital tools. Uh, And yes, there has been a few clients where I'm just like, I'm stumped. I'm not, I don't even know how you're going to get out of this. And, and I, I get that because you really want to help somebody. But if, if there's, if you cannot find a way for someone to pivot in this situation, yeah, it's, it's, uh, it, it kind of fucks me up a little bit.
1: Yeah, no, I'm with you on that. Um, and we're trying, so the sailing, the sailing clients, the sailing school. So we're looking at how to transition some of the classroom teaching to the online space. But at the end of the day, you still need to get on a sailboat. Um, yeah. So there's things like that. And
2: now what, what about like group, like group coaching? Are, are you doing anything with group coaching versus one-on-one and are you, and even like corporate type group uh, groups as well? Are, are you teaching that kind of stuff on how to, uh, your clients are landing those kind of gigs or is it mostly focused on the one-on-one side? Um, so my clients is mostly focused on the, um,
1: the client projects and retainers like we talked about of. Yeah marketing packages of some sort marketing mm-hmm. services. Yep. Occasionally people will be interested in more of the, the training, the speaking side, but, um, that's mostly reserved for people who have some level of experience anyhow, because they need the, the kind of intellectual backing of, how do I actually communicate these ideas? Um, where people starting out are still trying to get their grounding. So, yeah, very,
2: very true. But sense. what about just like groups then? Well, I mean, you know, cause there's this whole other side of things like you could, Run a mastermind type community and and go in that route. Is that is that just kind of outside of your niche from what you're teaching?
1: Yeah, it's it's not something I teach. Uh, I was involved in it on and off from the perspective of running one, but also being a member. Yeah. in a couple of different groups, and there's definitely value there, but it's just not a, a core activity that I would teach. Okay.
0: Yeah. Uh, so, um, you know, and and I think that the idea of selling your knowledge. Uh, in this way is, is really amazing. Uh, so was it, it Would you set that up, the, the, uh, consulting NBA.com, uh, what, uh, what did you have to do in order to put that whole digital curriculum together?
1: Well, it's essentially looking back at the last couple of years and I tried to dissect each individual coaching client that I had and figure out like, all right, what did we actually talk about? Fortunately, I had meeting notes saved so I can actually go through those and say, right, these are the things that came up. Um, And I took that as one basis, along with looking at my own career and being able to tick off like, all right, that went well. That was wrong. That was wrong. That was wrong. There's another win for me trying to reverse engineer. How can I cut out all of the wasted time, um, the ideas that didn't work out and just focus on the essential pieces Um, and then, yeah, it's just, it's building the curriculum curriculum at that point.
0: Is it a combination of like video and PDFs or, uh, you know, how do you, how do you present it? And did you, do you have it on a, uh, like, how did you build it? Like what technology did you use to, to actually put it together?
1: Sure. So it's on a platform, uh, Thinkific, uh, simple, easy to use, um, intuitive platform and, it is a series of videos with supporting materials, mm-hmm. PDFs. Uh, I'm working on at some point having it produced in a physical format so I can mail it out to people. So they have a, a real hard copy workbook to work with as well. So I think nice. you know, making that connection to something tangible, physical. It helps me a lot will be helpful. For yeah, everyone. for
0: sure. That's a good idea. That's a good idea. A lot of digital courses don't do that, but I li- I love the idea of, of sending someone out something that they can write in. It, it does make that sort of mind body connection to the material. So yeah. Uh, yeah, that's a, that's a fantastic idea. And, um, and how long did it take you to put it together?
1: Um, oof, it depends. It, it was similar to writing a book where, it would come up in my calendar that I need to work on it. And I had all these other things to do. So I was like, all right, tomorrow I'll do that. So it dragged on for a long time. Um, <laughs> now, how long is a long time? Like years or decades? Probably, <laughs> probably years. Yeah. yeah. Um, but it, it took a, a couple of months of semi-focused work where I'm developing the curriculum, I'm recording it, I'm editing it. Um, and I'm publishing it and I'm working on the next piece and then the supporting materials. Um, so a couple of months with a couple of years tagged on it, maybe.
2: And what's nice. the model with your membership program? Is that something that people pay a one and done fee? They get access and then they do you do coaching on the back end or do they pay a monthly like an m m m r r on the uh, on the coaching program, too? Or so how, how does that pricing work on that? So it's
1: it's all one price, one time of uh, fifteen hundred. Mm-hmm. I, I might be changing that at some point and I'm playing around with how I want that to actually look like. Um, but I want it to be something right now that's feasible enough for people given the situation. Um, and there's two coaching calls a week. So you can always jump on and get some live feedback. Um, there's a, a Facebook group. So if you ever want to chat there, you can do that. Uh, but you pay the one time and you have access for as long as I'm around. Uh, for life. Okay. That's a pretty good program. Yeah. I'm hoping that's a long time. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. right. It should be a good deal.
0: So far, so
2: good, man. Well, I want to hear a little (laughs) bit more about the books. Uh, So I I see you have two books or at least two books. Uh, You have the Getting Digital Marketing Right, a simplified process for business growth, goal attainment, and powerful marketing. And then you have Digital Marketing MBA, which is the guiding principles for researching, planning, and managing a marketing strategy to transform your business. Um, Tell tell me a little bit about the books. I mean, you you just mentioned that you, you know, it took a long time to kind of get it done. When, uh, where were you in the business when you finally made the decision to write a book? Um, What, like, roughly speaking, how, how long was the entire from idea to final book process? How long did that take? And, and what did it do for the brand and business? Sure.
1: So the first one was getting digital marketing, right? which is about digital marketing strategy in a very simplified way. Good for small business. And that took, there was probably three months of, you know, moving the writing uh, entry on my calendar over to the next day, to the next day where (laughs) all I got done was a table of contents basically. Um, And then I, I had a chat with someone and I came up with the thought that, all right, I'm going to sit down for 20 minutes every morning and write doesn't matter how much I get done, but that's small enough that I can actually commit to that. Mm -hmm. Uh, If it was any more, if it was a half an hour, I would wake up and say, nah, not today, but (laughs) 20 minutes was too hard for me to say no to. And I committed to it being absolute shit quality and still being okay. And those two things made it possible for me to get done. I think it took eight weeks from there. Um, wow, that's cool. And of course, sometimes it was 20 minutes, but sometimes it was a four or eight hour writing session. It just depends on the day.
2: But what did it, what did it do for the business? So once you got the book out there, did it, did it open up new doorways? Were you able to get new speaking gigs or opportunities to kind of share your message and voice? Like what, how did that, um, impact you? So I
1: definitely didn't leverage it enough. Um, because I was somewhat hesitant to just toot my own horn and put it out there until I published the second book. And now I'm a little bit more confident to say I'm a marketing author. Uh, I need the second one for proof. But (laughs) um, it brought in my best clients consistently. Uh, If I look back at who my best clients were, nine out of 10 originally read my book and then reached out to me. And then we worked together. Um, So it was tremendous for the business. I did use it a bit in terms of, speaking gigs and stuff like that. Uh, I just wasn't consistent enough with it at that point, I don't think. Um, but it's a wonderful tool and it doesn't get thrown away like a business card would.
0: Um, you also did some, uh, work, you do some speaking arrangements with uh score and, uh, I'd love to know kind of your overall experience with that. Uh, Justin and I actually met at score and, Uh, I was doing regular speaking gigs there when I was living in California. And for those of you who don't know, uh, SCORE, uh, uh, what does it stand for again? The Society of... Well, I don't
2: think it actually the original acronym was uh, Service Corps of Retired Executives. Yes. and I think they kind of moved away from that because it's now open to a younger demographic of teachers also. But that, that's what it originally started as. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, it, it's and it's a great service. It's free and and people uh, make connections there. It's it's a it's a really good organization. But what, what's your what, tell me about your experience with it? And how did you get involved with that? Yeah, well,
1: my uh, CPA was a SCORE mentor forever, and so he recommended that I get involved at some point. And in particular, uh, because they needed the support, um, like Justin's saying, they're trying to diversify who their mentors are. So it isn't just the traditional old white man, white hair, and that's it. So they're really diversifying who they have around. Um, and they needed some marketing support. So I got involved as a mentor, subject matter, expert, workshop presenter, kind of did the gamut of it. Um, today I spent, I think two and a half hours on calls this morning, um, cause I'm on the marketing committee and, uh, the lo- I'm a volunteer. So I don't know, we call it the local board and, uh, I- I've been working with them for two years now or so from pretty much every capacity.
0: And have you been able to get uh you you've probably gotten clients from doing your classes, yeah?
1: Uh a bit, yeah. Uh, I've done some classes on consulting, I've done some on marketing. Um and we're involved in uh a series now with the agency um as well and the webinar series we're doing is is taking off pretty great as uh, as well because score has a tremendous reach among small uh small businesses. Yeah. Um, so it's been a great organization.
2: I think at some point when you're working with, uh, that organization though, because the, the community it attracts for the most part, not always, but for the most part are people that are in the very, like even in pre-contemplation stage, they haven't even started their business yet, or they're very, very new in business. So they're probably below the level that you're going to they're going to be your client, at least in the short term. However, when you're doing consulting, you know, you never know who shows up five years later. That's uh, all of a sudden developed the business, or you also never know who they know and you can get um, referrals from it. Cause I do a lot of work like that. And I've noticed that I'm not necessarily getting direct clients from that work, but but there are relationships that build or the other instructors are the people that I end up getting as clients or something like that. Like, it's funny how doing volunteer work open up strange doors sometimes. So I'm a big advocate for it. But yeah, what has your experience been? I mean, is that what you're seeing? Like what what I'm talking about here or? Yeah, a lot of the
1: clients are very small, um, maybe don't have a business yet coming up with an idea. Uh, There's occasional clients that have some budget, uh, but it's pretty rare. But You know, it's, it's something that you need to keep contained to a degree because, uh, as a volunteer, you can spend every day on the phone with people who Mm -hmm. have a business or want to grow a business. Um, so I've kept it pretty limited, uh, after the first year was pretty draining because I I had a a lot going on with them. Um, and there's only so much business return you're going to get unless your market is, is really that early stage business builder.
2: Yep. I've had a very, very similar experience. So, and, and I'm still like, I said, I'm also doing that kind of work, not for score currently, but for a similar type of organization. And, and yeah, the, the first year I think I did too much uh, consulting, which was very, very training for like zero return. But again, it, you never know what doors it opens up. And it's, I, it's I've met some cool people along the way. Uh, I did want to ask you, cause in your, uh, in the kind of bio form that you submitted to us for this interview, you have a, a topic here. It says that you could tell us the one activity that you wish everyone would implement in their business today. And I, I have to know what that is. Sure. Um,
1: so, that is coming out of my uh, second book, Digital Marketing MBA. And uh, based in digital marketing, uh, it's really kind of the exact opposite of that. I, I want people to sit back, do what we're doing now, have some conversations with their actual customers, and talk with them through their process of. How did they do research on this purchase decision? What other competitors did they look to? What were their criteria for uh, making the decision to to invest in the product or service? And just pulling back into that. So it's not any kind of fancy digital marketing trick, nothing with analytics or AI or anything like that. Uh, It's sit down and talk to someone. And if you can make it a practice of once a month having a focus session to talk to a customer... All the better. You got to keep your finger on the pulse.
2: Yeah. Well, we, we often say like the best source of your information will come directly from your customers. Your existing customers are they're the ones that are already paying you. Like, why not like learn from them about to find more people like them? Right. Yeah. Um, another thing that in the bio, you, you talk about marketing budgets and that's something that I'd be curious to have a conversation about. So when we're talking about marketing budgets is as a consultant, you'll be guiding some of your clients, I'm sure on different types of campaigns, like what they're willing to spend on social media marketing, what they're willing to spend on Facebook advertising or Google ads, um, things of that nature. I mean, mostly digital marketing, I'm assuming, cause that's kind of the focus of our show and, um, what we talk about the most. But like, how how do you go about that? What's your process look like for setting budgets that are appropriate for a client? And um, I mean, are you looking at like what their, you know, their cash flow and all that? I mean, I'm just kind of curious what your process looks like.
1: So I try to help clients actually have a budgeting process typically because a lot of the time they inherited a budget of some sort and they don't have an exact reason of why that number is what it is. (laughs) It's just, we've been spending this much on, this kind of marketing and this advertising, and that's, it adds up to this. I try to provide them with a formula and define that formula within the business that they're in. And it might change by industry and all of that caveats, but so you want someone to have a 5 to 10% range um, of their total revenues for the year invested in marketing. If it's a B2B business, it might be 5 6 7%, uh, B2C, business consumer, Eight, nine, ten percent. Uh, that might depend on if they're more aggressive, going higher, or more conservative, going lower. But if we can settle on a number, uh, at least we have a starting point. And that number might be just straight media cost, or it might include, um, you know, the marketing team uh, salaries and overhead and all of that. Again, that depends on the business. But eventually, you settle on something that works for how they account for, you know, their own fees, the uh, expenses that go into the business. And what we've done there is we've developed a formula, a very basic kind of algorithm where we can say, that's how we decided the marketing budget. And now it's not emotional. It's not a decision of, well, I feel like we should do this or that. It is more of a hard pressed number and you can shift that around and change it over time, but you're taking the emotional element out of the decision is focusing on data. And that always seems to work a little bit better in that kind of decision.
2: And what about like, um, I mean, are you looking at ROIs too? I mean, if you, if you're getting, you know, $1 in, $2 out, does that change things? I mean, what, are you willing to scale with budgets and, and make adjustments based on what you're, when you're seeing big ROIs or are you kind of just sticking to uh, stick to the preset budgets?
1: Yeah. Yeah, certainly. Um, if it's possible to grow i am always all for it uh, It might change based on the client and their approach, but if we can map out that r o i and achieve it and see that there's more to be reached, usually try to reach forward for that uh the tougher option is when you're not seeing the r o i and you need to pull back um, you know doing that in a way that isn't going to handicap the business is uh the big challenge
0: hmm. how How do you see um Advertising changing in the future. I mean, I'm I'm curious because I there's a there's a firm belief I have that there's going to be something that's going to be introduced that will be the Facebook killer, and I can't see Facebook lasting forever, especially with their particular business practices. Uh, what what do you see the future of marketing looking like? Do you have any predictions around that?
1: Sure. So. I I think I agree with you that Facebook, as we know it, isn't going to be Facebook and it's already uh, changing a bit in the market, but it seems like they're probably going to buy up uh, as much (laughs) of the competition as they can to as much as they're allowed to, (laughs) as much as they can get away with. Uh, And who knows where that ends. But, um, you know, I think it, it's one of those things where it always lags behind consumer behaviors. So you have to look to, well, where are the markets going? How are they changing, how they behave? And there's certain things that happen like this whole coronavirus situation that acts as a catalyst that makes everyone much more comfortable on the digital side. Mm -hmm. And we're slowly getting more comfortable behind the camera, essentially, um, on Zoom calls, on Uh, social media and so on. So there's definitely much more of a visual component, I think. And I think at the same time, um, you can't get away with some of the older and authentic marketing that's out there. I think creative is making more of a comeback Um, because for a while with digital, it was really all about data and letting that lead the way and creative kind of, you know, had a um, a shame on it where it was just a lot of money for these cute ideas that didn't really do anything for business. And now you're seeing the marketing world say, all right, we need some creative that's really going to capture attention and, you know, married with data still, of course. Uh, but I think the creative side of uh, agencies is going to grow significantly in the years ahead.
0: Yeah. We had a, we had a guest on a couple of weeks ago and his whole agency was basically, he would make these really entertaining four minute kind of infomercials and uh, they, they had this very wacky vibe to it. And then he would do all the marketing around it too. And uh, those two things together was like, that was, that, that, that was pretty smart. talk about niching down. Uh, yeah. So I, I, I agree with you that I think that it's definitely going to take more creative. And also I think that people like the whole like polished look of things is actually a distraction now especially now that we've seen the inside of our colleagues offices in their house. Right. (laughs) And do you remember, do you remember like, uh, what was it even last year or two years ago where there was the, that big viral video where the guy is uh, from BBC and he's doing some sort of report. And then the one kid comes in kind of stumbling in. And then the other kid (laughs) comes in and then his wife kind of comes in and scoops the kids out. (laughs) And it was, it was hysterical because it was so like, It felt so real. Right. And now we're at the time it was a big deal, but now we've seen everybody's houses and what their environments are like. I I think that that we're due to have a more relaxed atmosphere around business and uh, just around each other. uh, Hopefully, you know, we'll see the, the country could use some relaxing. Yeah. Yeah, I can see that.
2: Uh, Talking of advertising, what what uh, where are you driving traffic for your clients a lot? I do you prefer Google? Do you prefer Facebook? Do you use any other outside sources that are not those two? <laughs> um, those two plus LinkedIn. I think
1: LinkedIn has gained a lot of steam over the last year, year and
2: paid or years. or, or uh,
1: organic, paid or organic, both, both, okay. both. Um, a, a lot of my work is on the paid side. Um, but both areas are working
2: pretty well. Um, How, has LinkedIn made many advancements? We, I mean, I, I haven't run paid ads on LinkedIn for about two years. Uh, it's been a while since I had really played with that back end and it was pretty, it was pretty low grade, uh, two years ago. I don't know, as I'm kind of curious what's, what's in play right now. I know that the cost per click was, uh, higher than on Google. However, if you have the right audience, it doesn't really matter what the cost per click is. It matters what the ROI is. So what? yeah, tell me a little bit about your experience running ads and what, what are you seeing success uh, with LinkedIn? Is it, is it the, uh, I mean, are you running like image-based ads, video ads? What what are you um, finding the most success with? So LinkedIn is,
1: is one of those things I have a love and hate with because there's so much opportunity there. Mm-hmm. Um, but I still get, multiple automated messages a day that make me oh super annoyed the, the with the platform. messaging
2: platform is ridiculous. <laughs> I, I mean, I, I'm, I have 15,000 connections on there and I'm getting at least 20 a day. And I just, so I have to like, I want to kind of read through so I can find the ones that are actually real. <laughs> but so yeah, if you don't, if you don't like say something that it makes it clear that this is not a robot message in the first like sentence, then I, I just ignore it. So yeah.
1: Oh my, my name on LinkedIn is David J. Bradley for a reason. But J. helps me figure out all the automated ones because they all say, hey, David J. Oh, that's brilliant. That's brilliant. Okay, off, that's that's
0: brilliant. Ignore. <laughs> I'm stealing that, man. I'm going to so steal that. <laughs> so what what uh, so anybody out there who uh, either wants to become a consultant, uh, like what would you especially uh, skills that people need to know right now? What do you think the most important skills someone needs to know? in order to be successful in uh, like a consulting field?
1: Um, well, the true, honest answer is probably sales. It, it really comes down to, can I sell? Um, I would just hope that you also have the talents to back up whatever services you're providing as well. But yeah, I mean, a, a good consultant is someone who's good at business development.
2: I still want to hear, I still want to hear the LinkedIn ad stuff too, though.
1: Oh yeah. Do you want to circle back to
2: that? Yeah, yeah, let's, uh, definitely. I, I did want to hear the your response on what you're doing with LinkedIn paid advertising. Okay. So with LinkedIn advertising,
1: um, to answer one part of the question, it hasn't progressed as much as you would hope. Um, it's still kind of a clunky platform. platform. Uh, it's not quite as smooth as Facebook's business manager and ads manager, even though that's not uh, always ideal. Uh, so from a use standpoint, um, it's not great, but for the actual results, you might pay a little bit more than you might see on other platforms, on you know, a cost per click basis, but the amount of targeting options you have is, uh, something that really makes it worthwhile.
2: And you're also getting access. I mean, I, I just think like CEOs and executives and a lot of business people spend more time there than they do on Facebook. I mean, at least from a general standpoint, I'm sure some of them are on Facebook occasionally, but they're also not on Facebook for that reason where when you're on LinkedIn, you're on for that right. reason too.
1: Yeah, I think it's more thoughtful time um, as opposed to mindlessly kind of scrolling like we all will do on something like Facebook or Instagram. Uh, LinkedIn is a little bit more purposeful. Um, so it seems to perform pretty well. Uh, most of it that I do is right in the news feed, ad pops up, drop an image in. Um, video can work well. Um, and
2: are these just lead gen funnels? So they just go to a landing page, get the email and kind of, and then drive them to a call or something, or what's the, what's the CTA? So one I started
1: up recently with a client is, um, leading into a a webinar and they're doing like a bi-weekly, uh, lunch and learn style, but it's all virtual now. Um, so it's a way to introduce a new relationship that isn't so sales focused, like, hey, schedule a call with us now. Um, easy way in, sharing value, educating them, uh, and it's building leads up over time. Um, so that's one kind of fun project we're doing right now. And that's all focused on LinkedIn. Very cool.
0: Nice. Yeah. And I, 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 you, it sounds like you had the same sort of thing. Uh, I found that LinkedIn ads, I've been, I've been running some large campaigns with them. And I find that they're definitely more expensive, but the KPIs are way better.
1: Yeah, definitely. I think LinkedIn just has that that right factor right now, the right combination where um, it's going to be a little expensive, but it should be worth it if you build a, a good quality campaign.
0: Have you done any uh, campaigns on, say, TikTok or uh, any other kind of <laughs> Snapchat? <stuff? or laughs> yeah, Snapchat. Have you ever run campaigns off of those platforms?
1: Um, I never really had a, a purpose to, so I haven't explored it yet. Um, I'm curious to play around with them to some degree, but, um, I worked with one company that did a little bit on Snapchat, but it wasn't to a great degree that I can share too much insight on.
2: You're not yeah. going for the 12 year old million dollar YouTube business owners.
1: <laughs> no, your I'm too jealous to, to even bother.
0: <laughs> I, I'm curious to run a, a, a Spotify ad campaign. I don't know if those would be, have you ever done anything like that or know anybody who's done that?
1: I am in the process of, tr- well, I was in the process of staging one um, and then coronavirus hit and events stopped, but it was for an event based company. Um, it seems pretty interesting if you're making the transition from radio to Spotify ads. If radio is already proven well for you, I, I think it makes sense to give it a shot. Um, fairly simple, intuitive type of platform, um, but just a, a measurement kind of thing on that point.
0: Yeah. Super, man. Well, uh, really great uh, to kind of get a little bit of uh, your knowledge. And uh, I I was wondering if somebody wanted to find out more about you, what would be the best way to do it?
1: Uh, You can go right to davidjbradley.com um that has all the links to uh my social my other websites consultingmba.com thebbg.com um has my books up there but that would be the best place davidjbradley.com
0: nice well uh finally uh david j bradley what do you find to be what are you geeky about right now man what, what's uh what's your obsession
1: um so i just got into biking a bit um I've, I was into trail running for a while and now I want to be into mountain biking and, uh, I haven't found a trail close enough to me where I can just get there without having to do some traveling. Um, but that's going to be my new thing. I think I I need something that's exciting enough to stay active. Can't bring myself just to go to the gym every day and gyms are closed. Um, so mountain biking is my thing. I'm geeking out on now.
2: You're in Rhode Island, right? So how, how, closed are, how closed is Rhode Island? Are they full shelter in place or where? where?
1: Um, we supposedly opened last Saturday partially, but it's a very slow open. Um, I think right now retail stores have a limit where they can only have 20% of capacity or something like that. Um, restaurants are closed except for takeout, et cetera. So things are pretty much offline for now.
2: What about on the entertainment side for your geekiness? Are you watching Netflix? Are you watching documentaries? Are you watching YouTube channels? Like, what what are you doing? What are you finding interesting? Or what like what's a hobby you might have picked up um, outside of biking uh, in the entertainment side? Um, I'll just
1: stretch my intellectual muscles. Like <laughs> yes. and Morty season four.
0: Yeah! Did you see the <laughs> new episode? <laughs> the, brand, the brand new one that just that that, that just got I, released.
1: I just found out about it because apparently I'm living under a rock. So I just got season. I just got episode one. I'm going to dig through it tonight. It's,
0: it's, uh, it's uh, the, this year's uh, interdimensional cable slash Morty's mind blowers. But uh, the way they do it is really. uh, (laughs) It's got uh, a bit off the rails, but it's funny. (laughs) Yeah. In fact, in fact, I, I, I recommend that you look up uh, Justin Rowland's his, his plot circle. The way he does that, there's a few videos on YouTube, and and watch that first, like how he plots out a show, because it's very self self referential to that, uh, which makes hmm. the this episode like so much more funny. But uh, yeah, it's yeah I, I, this new episode was great. I've seen all of them but the new one. I still haven't seen the
2: new one, Andros, but I, I yeah. just I just heard about it too. It's on my like it's on my queue.
0: So glad it's back. Got to get to it. Uh, I I I have uh, just got into the show on Netflix called Ozark, and it is. I watched
2: like six episodes of it. It's pretty good.
0: Yeah. It's great. It's great. Yeah. Where like uh, my wife and I are binge watching it right now, and I am. You know, I I did. Uh, we just finished watching season three of Westworld, and it. You know, season two kind of dragged a little bit and season three, you know, it's pretty good. But Ozark is so well plotted and so well written that nothing drags in that show. And that that's a rare thing when you can have that. So Ozark is what I'm I'm geeking out about right now.
2: Yeah, well, for me, I I finished Better Call Saul season five, which is my favorite show on TV right now. Um, I mean, I'm looking forward to dark season three when that finally rolls around. I don't know if you've seen dark. That's this uh, show on Netflix. It's kind of about time travel. Just say that it's amazing. Like it's the most well-written show I think I've ever seen in my life. It's got this David Lynch sort of vibe to it. Yeah, it does. It's, it's, a, that's a, it's just an incredible show. It's not, it's not even in English. It's in German, um, which, is, which is rare that I would be that into a show. That's not even, not even in my native language. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, uh, but what I was – I just watched uh, – we started watching Dead to Me Season 2, which is – that's okay. That's all. Is it okay? <laughs> I,
0: I saw that. <laughs> it's okay. I'm like, I'm trying to think what we were just watching. I'm like, yeah, it's just okay. Uh, definitely get back into Ozark, man. It's, uh, it's, it's super well done super duper. So uh all right, David Bradley, thank you so much for being on the show man. I really appreciate it. it was thank great. you. We and uh it. good luck with everything man and and uh I want to check out your consulting MBA and see like how you did that. That's amazing. So really cool. Appreciate it. Yeah, all right. Thank you. All right. That was fantastic. So, uh, yeah, man, what do you got for me?
2: What do I have for you? Well, that was, uh, it was great to have David on the show here. Um, lots of, lots of cool information. Like I, I think it's always fascinating to learn about pricing, packaging, uh, and even as a consultant working with clients, like having helping them establish budgets. And as you know, for your own business, you're establishing budgets as well. So, I mean, those are all topics that are things that I'm you know, always trying to get better at in my own business. So it's, uh, it's useful from a selfish standpoint, it's useful for me to learn this kind of stuff. So I was like, uh, I was like asking questions on that end.
0: Yeah, man. Uh, it's very interesting. I mean, you know, it, it, it brings up an interesting point because he, he said something, and this is something we also hear over and over again. Uh, the best skill that you can have as an entrepreneur is being a salesperson. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's it, you know, hands down. And if, if, if that's an issue, uh, then you need to partner with somebody who can do it it, because you either got that or you don't. And if you don't, don't like, don't try and make it happen. If you're just not a good salesperson, don't force it. It's horrible for everybody. I I
2: think there's different styles of sales. So I I think that the people, I do think that people with different personalities can sell, but don't try and use the, the most, well-known sales strategies, like the Tom Hopkins, like the Zig Ziglar, like the hardcore aggressive sales, like the stuff that you, the the things that the archetypes of salespeople, you're never going to be, you're never going to be that. If you have a personality that's dry or you have a personality that's, that's not outgoing, you're an like, if you're an introverted person that doesn't like, it doesn't have a a high social IQ, let's say, you're never going to succeed with that strategy. You have to adapt and you have to work with different, different, areas of sales.
0: You know what's really funny about that is uh especially here in Europe every country has their own little quirk about what they you know what what's acceptable and what's not. The in the UK they sell a, a lot like Americans do, but it's it's even a little hard more hardcore. So uh here's the difference between the Dutch. I and- love well, their their accents are way better than ours in America. Yeah, they're way really <laughs> better than the Dutches. Also, I, I hate to say, the, I mean, Brits, definitely, you guys the, got the, uh, the Aussies and the Brits. They got us all beat. Uh, New Zealand's pretty good too. Yeah, uh, but uh, anyway, the the uh, the wild thing is, is that there was a company that wanted to work with the company I'm working with. And they talked to the marketing director, and he said, "Yeah, I was going to work for them, but it was this guy out of the UK, and he told me that." uh, I'm, I, I'm, I'm the last one, like he's saving a spot for me. And that (laughs) if I don't sign up right now, then he may not be able to make it happen. And the guy was just like, I don't know, no, that's not going to, no, forget it. You, I'm not going to work with you at all. And, uh, because the Dutch are very, they're very skeptical people and they tell it like it is. What if that was true? Maybe, maybe it was true. Probably not. It's
2: probably just a false scarcity move, which is the most common thing in sales and marketing ever. But you never right. know; might have been true.
0: Yeah, and I I don't think that that type of hard scarcity selling is going to work anymore. It's people see through it, and it, it rubs them the wrong way. Well, to an extent, there's two things
2: there. I mean, the the way that it's been done in the past won't work anymore. But it's just yeah. still our, our brains are still also hardwired to certain emotional triggers and things like that. So those triggers are always going to be there. They're just going to be. People are going to get creative and find different ways of doing it. But I think you're right, though. But I, I don't think you're not going to see like, like there's just one left. I mean, you but you might you might see other ways of triggering that same scarcity mindset, but in a different method.
0: Yeah, so, I mean, I could always yeah. use what my like I could sell like like my grandma used to talk to me. If I did that, then I would say something like, okay, so you don't want to get really a lot of clients with this type of thing? That's fine. See if I care. I'm just going to sit over here by myself. Well, I mean,
2: there is is something called real scarcity. So like if you really – if you're true – and you say, like, I'm only offering this for 24 hours. And then you stop and you do, and you actually honor that 24-hour window. Right. That's real scarcity. And that can be effective. And I think we're, what we're probably moving towards is where the people that are lying about, like, fake timers and fake things yeah. like that, which is very, very common. Um, that is the stuff that's going to get the backlash. But if you if you're legitimately saying this is only available 24 hours, then the price goes up, and then after 24 hours, the price actually goes up, and that's actually what's being sold.
0: <laughs> or Absumo, Absumo, which is both of our kryptonite, is oh, you know God. they do that very well because they'll put things on there that are amazing, and if you don't buy it by the time it's out, you don't get it ever. Except now that now they're kind of, but then, now they have that like one day
2: only it's available again for 24 hours thing which I, I don't yeah. like that actually
0: really well I I don't know it's yeah. sometimes then, then I feel like you know that cheapens like I feel like oh I got a great
2: deal and then it's like oh other people are getting on this man lame I know but
0: I got some I've got some <laughs> good stuff
2: to really uh, I've gotten some about. amazing stuff and then I've also spent a lot of money on stuff I haven't opened in a long time you <laughs> gotta go through that man we gotta give some reviews on I know that. I know I need yeah. to like seriously I need to just go through like all this old software like, I like I, I can't even remember all of it I know you.
0: You and I—we share that, man. We're software hoarders.
2: Yep, software. I'm like a. I'm a software hoarder. I'm an e-book uh, hoarder, ebook hoarder, learning hoarder.
0: Yeah, man. Uh, I guess I guess we share that, and hopefully, all of our listeners do too, so they can listen to uh, hoard all of these episodes, listen to them, let us know what you think,
2: <laughs> and, uh, and it's your birthday the today. episode. It it's, is my birthday. It's
0: it's so oh, happy, happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you Happy birthday To you You know what, just listening to that Listening to myself right now I, I, I'm starting to understand why Why my, why Iris doesn't like my, my ukulele Like If you just got rid of the words, it's fine <laughs> Well, if you want to hear some damn good Ukulele, I'll take this out Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for listening To Marketing Geeks
2: out. Stay glassy.
0: Marketing geeks, come on, bring your friends. We'll learn marketing from distant lands. Under surgeon and Justin one back, the phone will never end. It's marketing geeks. Marketing geeks.